And uh, Wayne, will you come on up introducing uh, my friend Wayne Taylor from Calvary Chapel, Seattle, just coming down for a, a day to spend some time with me and encourage me. Been, it's been so encouraging. And then to just bring a special, oh, there we go, write it down, and uh, bring a special word from the book of Romans for us today. So come on up, Wayne. Welcome, buddy. It's good to have you. Well, my bad. Hug on the leg. I should have hugged on the leg. There we go. <laughs> you think I'd know, huh? Yes, check. One. Are we on? Are we on? Good. How are you guys doing? Wow, you're fun, you're fun to be with. Yeah, that's a, that's a very lively church. I love it. It's great. A lot of kids. And I'm used to that. I have 11 grandkids. 15. Awesome. Anybody have more? Okay, you get the prize afterwards. Good, so it's really um, been a blessing to be with your pastor and his dear wife, Lindsay, and Russell. Made me think of the game today. I don't know why. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, forget it. I'm from Seattle. Go Hawks. Russell, you know, Russell. They need prayer is the main reason I brought that up. <laughs> okay, good. Who's playing? Who's playing? Who's playing the soccer game? Okay. You sound like you have a southern accent. That's all. Awesome. Okay. Anyway, it's super great to be with you guys and. Not only Russell, but Laney and Tatum and Titus. And, you know, I love the, the um, atmosphere. I mean, these guys are the real deal. I don't know if you guys knew that. But you're blessed. You're extremely blessed. Um, with what goes on, you know, day by day, not just on Sundays. It's really great. So, yeah. I want to talk about the love of Christ. The greatest wonder of the world, the love of Jesus Christ, the love of God to send Jesus Christ, God's gift to the world, to send him for us. You know, we've been during Christmas time, right? And unto us a child was born, not just unto Mary and Joseph, but unto us. A son was given, given to die, to die, because he loves us, our Heavenly Father. Now, it's my favorite topic. Everything God does, by the way, is love, because God is love, even the hard things that he allows. He still is showing love. And do you know anyone who can take anything and turn it for good? Anything and turn it for good? Is there anyone in this world who can do that except Jesus and God? To serve that true God who can take and cause anything 
to work for good. Wow. Not everything is from him. But all that he does is love. And even in the things that he allows that are not from him, he turns for good. Amazing. Now, one of the human examples of of love is marriage. Right? Marriage is given in the Bible as an example of Christ's love for the church. That, that we, in our marriages, we want to reflect that love, God's love. And, and marriage can do that. But we husbands must love our wives as Christ loved the church for that to be reflected. And I don't always do that. And, and also love for our children you know, is, is, is likened to the Father's love. Um, and so we're dependent on God's love. You know, one of the reasons why we need to think about God's love all the time is so that we can reflect that love. So that that, that entity itself, the Holy Spirit's fruit in our life, can, can be the dominating factor. Because if, if we're not allowing him in and, and to be filled, then that's not what's going to come out. So that will be part of our lesson today. But marriage. Now, I'm not super romantic, or I didn't used to be when I got married. And, and so I, I don't know if I was a great example to my boys. I have three boys and, and one girl. I don't know if I was a great example about romance and such. I tried to be an example in showing love, in, in behavior and, and, and kindness and such. But anyway, <laughs> every one of my boys proposed to their spouse or their girlfriend slash fiance um, in a very romantic way. Like, I want to tell you a story of my, my youngest boy, Nick. Nick, um, he, he brought this young girl in his first month or so of college at Seattle Pacific University. He brought some of his friends to college group. And this one gal, he was kind of being, you know, nice to and this and that. And I go, hey, you should go out with her, you know. He goes, really, you think so? And I go, yeah, she's really cute and seems very nice and... And anyway, he did start dating her. And so they dated during the entire four years. And they were getting closer and closer. But Nick's kind of slow at the same time. So his, her, her brothers were checking with him. They're a Christian family. So what, 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 are you, what are your intentions, buddy? You know, sort of thing. And um, he was like, oh, I don't know, you know. Anyway, they kind of got on his case a little bit. So he, he decided, yes, and we had a lot of counseling time, him and I, Nick and I. And so he says, I think I'm ready, Dad, you know. And so he was going to propose. And it was, it was really set up nice because she was going to go to a women's retreat. And she was all packed. And he was going to take her to the retreat for the weekend, you know, to drop her off. And he was her ride down there. But he had something else in mind to take her to Southern California. To propose. I thought, that's a little, 
extravagant, isn't it, Nick? He goes, she's worth it, Dad. I'm going, all right. So anyway, he gets to her house. She's all packed up. They get in the car. They're driving what she thinks to the retreat, but then they pass that stop on the freeway, and Nick says, oh, yeah, we're going somewhere else. Now, he blindfolds her. So they don't, she doesn't really know where, right? And then they get to the airport, and you can't really take a blindfolded person <laughs> on the airplane. They don't allow that. And so he, he unblindfolds her, and he says, okay, so we're, we're going to fly to Southern California, and, um, and we're going to have some fun. And so she's super excited. And she's immediately thinking, He's finally going to pop the question, right? Because they're just graduating from college. And so they're on their way down. They have a great time. They go and get, go to the beach for a while that day, come in a little later in the day. They're at the beach. They have fun. They go out to a really nice restaurant. And she's thinking he's going to propose. But he knows she's thinking that. So he decides not to do that. So it can be a bigger surprise, right? And so, so they finish their dinner and everything, and she's, as it gets later, and then they pack up and go to the hotel. She's like, oh, you know, she's kind of in a down mood. So then she thinks, when we get to our rooms, that he'll, he'll do it. Now, she has a room, and he has a room. So they're keeping it good, and... So he drops her off there and he says, tomorrow we're going to have so much fun. God bless you. Have a great sleep. And he leaves. And she's like noticeably depressed. And so he just goes to his room, kind of basking in the sense of surprise that he's, he's doing. But she's not happy. Well, the next morning, picks her up and... She's kind of over it. She's not mad anymore. She's like, okay, we're going to have a fun day. So they go to Disneyland. So they go to Disneyland. They have a great time at Disneyland. And then he times it to where just before dinner, they're on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. How many have been on that ride? Raise your hand. Yeah. A lot of us have been on that ride. It's a highlight. And at the end of the ride, there's this restaurant called the Blue Bayou. Okay. So they go to the Blue Bayou for dinner. And this is their favorite place in Disneyland, is the Pirates of the Caribbean. People are getting off and going on, and they're all excited. And and Anna's not thinking at all that he's going to propose. But he stands up in the middle of the restaurant, takes a knee in front of her, and says, Anna, will you marry me? And she starts crying. She just breaks down and... (laughs) <laughs> you know, and just just sort of makes a scene a little bit. And and she goes, yes, yes, you know. And, and that was the way that he proposed. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, it's fantastic. I didn't do that when I proposed to Kathy. I went to a dive restaurant called the Rickshaw. <laughs> that was, you would go there and do, um, what do you call it when you sing along? Yeah, it was a karaoke place. But she said yes. 
so marriage, even marriage itself, it can be an example of incredible love, but it also doesn't even come close to the greatness of God's love. Because God's love is greater than any other. You know, there's no one who loves you more than God. No one. Not even your family who loves you. Only God loves you with a perfect love. And in the verses that we're covering today, in Romans, I don't know if we have those up there. But you can put those up. It's in Romans 8, 35. It says, if we, if we want to pick up there, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Skip down to 37. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray that that will really sink deep in our hearts. God, I just thank you for this congregation. I thank you for these people. Thank you that they're well fed in your word. Thank you that they are well loved. Lord, by your spirit, by your presence, by, by their leadership, by one another. Thank you so much. And yet, Lord, we still struggle with believing in how great your love is. And as a result, there's areas in our life that are still really hurting, still really maybe dysfunctional, still... Um, bringing about fear, insecurity, even bitterness, resentment, frustration. All of these things were subject to God, but your love dispels so much that wants to choke the fruit. So we ask that you really drive it home to us now. In your precious name, amen. So the love of God is the greatest. And Paul said that it it's not just one-dimensional, nor even two or three-dimensional. But God's love is at least four, but probably more. He talked about four dimensions. He said to the Ephesians as he was praying for them, he said that Christ may dwell in your heart and that you may be rooted and grounded in his love in order that you may comprehend what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height and to know by experience, gnosko, to know by experience the love of God that surpasses knowledge. You know, you can know by experience and by seeing his hand in your life. 
if you stay alert and perceptive, that your whole life will convince you. This is what happened to Paul. His whole life convinced him of God's love. He became persuaded, which means convinced by evidence to the point of confident assurance. The Greek word pytho, convinced by evidence to the point of confident assurance because he knew the love of Christ by experience in the midst of all these things that we're talking about, that we just read. So there's these four infinite dimensions to God's love. What are they? The breath. God's love is so broad. And you can know it by experience. His love is so broad that he so loved the world. He loves your world. He loves your neighborhood. He loves your work world. He loves your, the world that, that surrounds you. He loves that world. And you're a light of his love in that world. He wants to pour his love into you, through you. And the first thing he does is we become first partakers of the fruit. So that we can share. It's awesome. So it's infinitely broad. It's kind of weird to know he loves every person that comes, you come across in your world. There may be some that you're like, I don't think he loves this guy. In fact, there was a guy that I said that to him about. Like one time, I, there's this, I had this workmate that was so annoying. I couldn't stand to be around him, but I had to, like hours and hours every day. I got so frustrated one day, I went to the, into the bathroom and I go, Oh God, deliver me from this guy. And, and a voice came to my mind. He said, do you think I love that guy? I go, I don't know, <laughs> you know, and he's like, well, I do, and I go, well, but you love everybody, that's not fair, you know, <laughs> and he goes, do you think I could love him through you, and I go, I don't think so, <laughs> I really don't, you'd have to you'd have to completely change something inside because of me because I hate him. And he goes, well, if I give you the love, a love for him, will you, first, will you pray for him? I said pray for your enemies, right? I mean, I'm having this dialogue with God in the bathroom. I said pray for, love your enemies and such. I go, yeah. If I give you a love... Will you do it? And I said, okay. And then finally, just, well, I want you to pray for him. So I did. And you know, it was weird because at that point, things changed. And over time, I started, I, I kept praying for the guy. And the Lord kept giving me some insight about the guy. So I was like, okay, I understand now, you know. And I became curious about him. And anyway, long story short, he gave his life to God. And the Lord, you know, was working powerfully in his life to this day. So the depth of, or the, the breadth of God's love and then the length. You know, he, he's loved us with an everlasting love, the Bible says. Right? It says in Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you. 
with an everlasting love. The love he has for you. It's eternal. He's not going to, it's not going to die out. And therefore he says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore I have drawn you with cords of loving kindness. So if you've been drawn, how many of you have been drawn to learn about God and drawn to God and to his love? Raise your hand if you've been drawn to Jesus. You've been drawn. You're, you're being drawn to him. That means he'll love you forever. If he's drawn you to himself, he's not going to stop loving you. Isn't that awesome? So infinitely long and then infinitely deep is his love. You could sink to the depths of despair. You could be in the worst trial of your life. You could be in the depths of the worst, muckiest, yuckiest sin that you never thought you would have even been in. And his, the water of His love will still flow down to you. To lift you up. And lift you out of that pit. Because of His love. That's how deep His love is. And it's infinitely high. Why? Because the love of Christ flows so deep that it flowed down to the worst sinner named Saul. Saul, the worst. Chief, he thought, after he was saved. Worst sinner. Terrorist. Killing Christians. Think of ISIS. And he saved him and made him an apostle. To the depth he will go to reach a sinner to call them out. Now they must respond. But he knows how to get your attention. Let's talk about Saul for a minute, okay? Saul of Tarsus. He was a Jewish rabbi. And he believed firmly in the God of the Hebrew Scriptures. But he saw no connection whatsoever between the God of the Hebrew Scriptures and Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, that guy, he's a cult leader. You know, and he got himself crucified. Thank God he's dead. But all these people, his, his followers, they're stirring up trouble and trying to lead people away from the truth, the true interpretation of Scripture, and now they're deceiving us into thinking he's the Messiah when he's dead. What good is that? So he's going around seeking to arrest people. He's seeking to, if possible, get them convicted and put to death. That's his goal. So he's on the road to Damascus. Right? He's going to arrest some more Christians up there. There's Jews up in Damascus. He doesn't want that infection spreading everywhere. Going up there, you know. He's on his road up there, on his way up there, and a funny thing happens. This brilliant light that's so bright, it just flashes down upon him, knocks him off his chariot or his horse or whatever he's riding. And he's lying on the ground. And this voice comes down and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's like, who are you? 
Lord, Lord. And that began the conversation. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now at this point, Jesus, the risen Lord, who dwells in unapproachable light, we couldn't even come into his presence if the, if the fullness of his glory was shining upon us and we didn't have our new bodies yet. He could have killed Saul easy, but he just knocked him off his horse and blinded him. God knows how to get people's attention, but they're still not forced. They don't have to follow. But he says, who are you, Lord? God goes, I'm Jesus. And I don't like people persecuting my children. Why are you persecuting me? See, I take it personally. I mean, I would... People that are killing God's children, and then they stand before Him and they haven't repented, I would, I would dread being in their shoes. Because He will deal with that. But first... He wants them to repent and come to him because he even died for them. How deep, how great the Father's love. He so loved the world, he gave his son. You know, you guys are great people. He died for you. I have sons. I wouldn't let him die for you. I'm a pretty loving person, but not that much. But God's love, God's love. Amen? God's love. He gave His Son. It actually says in Isaiah 53.10, it pleased the Lord to crush the Messiah. Think of that. It pleased Him to crush. To judge His own Son for our sins. To judge Him in our place. Because He became the sin bearer. God made Him who knew no sin to be sin. The spotless Lamb of God. Because God loved you and me. So Jesus says to Saul, on that day, he says, go over to Straight Street there in, in Damascus. There's a guy there, he's going to pray for you, named Ananias. Saul, he's blinded. So the guys have to lead him to Straight Street to find this house. Now that wasn't very difficult. But what was really difficult was getting Ananias to pray for him. <laughs> because God loves people, but his people don't love people that much. You know? And you, you got to hand it to Ananias. He'd heard of this guy, Saul. Lord, he's on his way here to apprehend Christians and kill us. I think you got the wrong guy. He's talking to God, saying, I, no, I, that's not the right guy. And God goes, oh yeah, I know what my plans are for him. And what I plan to do for him is raise him up. He's going to know me. And he's going to be a vessel that I'm going to use. And I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for following me and serving me. So yeah, come on, just do it for me, would you? And, and I just goes, okay, you know. So Saul comes in, you know, he's, he can't even see. He's got scales on his eyes. 
And if you ever want to do something kind of fun, um, look up the Book of Acts videos, cartoon videos, by Riley Taylor. That's my son, Riley. He's a filmmaker. And he made these cartoon videos of stop-action cartoons with flannel graph characters. And he's got, in Acts 9, where Saul is blinded and Ananias is praying for him. As Ananias, and he's doing this stop-action cartoon thing, he's praying for Saul and scales, and it's fish scales, fall from the guy's eyes. Like two salmon fall from his eyes. And it's just, it's really funny. It's just, actually those videos for, for kids, you'll be a gigantic hit if you just play it for your kids. I'm, it's, it's free. I mean, it's on YouTube, so. I'm not, no, I don't make any money on this. <laughs> it's just really good. But anyway, so he, the first thing he does is he has one of his servants pray for Saul to be healed. So he struck him down, but now he's healing him. And then he tells Ananias, pray for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Saul is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he begins to work in Saul to show him how much he loves him. Now one of the things he did was he changed his name to his Roman name, which is Paul. Now Saul was this name that was probably named after the first king of Israel who was of the tribe of Benjamin, right? And Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin. And he was a Jew among Jews. I mean, he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, he said. He was a Pharisee. He, he kept the law to a point. He, he thought, you know, as far as the righteousness that comes from the law, I am blameless. He told the Philippians that. Now he was to learn. He wasn't blameless at all. He was a self-righteous pig who judging everybody and thought Gentiles and he became the apostle to the Gentiles? The pagans? The non-Jewish people? <laughs> Think of that. A rabbi who his belief prior to this was that Gentiles were like logs for the fires of hell. That, that was his belief. But now all of a sudden he saved from this self-righteous judgmentalism and, and, and shown that God doesn't want to destroy people, but he sent his son to save people, that that's the true God. So no longer was he on a mission from God to kill as many, you know, infidels. But now he goes with the gospel. So God begins to work in his life to show him how much he loves Paul to use him to reach people. So he goes and tells people, Jesus really is risen. I met him. He knocked me down. He blinded me. And he told me, start believing. And so I did. And I got saved. Well, all the self-righteous Pharisees and such started hating his guts. So he started being persecuted. We know the story. But Paul reached thousands of people he planted hundreds of churches. If that weren't enough, God called him to write 13 books of the Bible. Think of having that calling. That you would be so blessed. 
that you would actually write God's holy word. Why did God do this for Paul? He loved him. And he loves people who he knew would be reached by Paul's words that we're talking about today. He loved Paul and he loves people through Paul. Do you know that God's plan for your life, every single experience that you go through in life, even if, for example, verse 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, when you go through tribulation, shall distress, when you go through distress, persecution, famine, you don't have enough food, or money, or nakedness, you don't, can't buy any clothes, Danger, peril, sword means death. You know, Paul, he ended up being beheaded for being a follower and a preacher of Christ. That's his life story. That's his life story. He said, can that separate me from the love of Christ? No. None of it can separate me. None of it. I know where I'm going. And Christ is with me all the way. No matter what I go through. So he lists all these things. You know when you study the life of Paul? I've looked in Acts and in um, 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 29. You look at all the things that he went through. He should have died at least 14 times. You count them up. He should have died. Now there's one, and he starts with death. Okay, in verse... 38, he lists the main things now. He says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life. So he starts with death. Even death cannot separate you. He should have died 14 times. And there's one time when it seems like he actually did die. Remember when he was stoned in Lystra? Have you ever read the book of Acts and... and and they caused, wherever he would go sometimes would cause riots. So they were stoning him. You know, not with weed, but with real stones. And he was getting bashed by these boulders that were coming at him. Just like when he had held the clothes for Stephen when he was voting against Stephen to be stoned. Watching it with relish. Yeah! <laughs> and Stephen, I'm sure he remembered those words. I see Jesus, Stephen said. I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. In other words, I'm going down, but he's standing there to welcome me in. Now normally Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. But when one of his righteous ones dies, it says in Psalm 116, Precious in the sight of God are the death of his holy ones. That means you. As a believer, he welcomes them in. It's not St. Peter that welcomes you in. It's Jesus. Otherwise, you're not getting in. Not everyone's going to be saved. Only those that take Jesus up on his offer. That he's the one that will bring them right in. Because he died for all their sins. All of our sins. Isn't that awesome? 
Okay, so st- st- Paul's getting stoned in the same way Stephen did. He's knocked down. He's out. Everyone thinks he's dead. His stoners thought he was dead. His friends thought he was dead. And they're crying. They're oh, Paul, you know. Now, if you look at the timing of Acts chapter, I believe, 14 or 16. I think it's, I think it's 14. Where he was stoned in Lystra. If you look at that, and you look at the timing, Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 of a time when he was caught up into the third heaven, which is where God dwells. Okay? And he was caught up into heaven and he said, it was like being in paradise. He was in paradise. And he said, I heard things that are so great and so glorious. And I experienced some things that were so exquisite. I'm not even allowed to tell you how great it is. In other words, he probably died and his soul and spirit went to heaven for a time. He said, I don't know if I was in my body or out of my body. Right? But a lot of scholars and a lot of commentators think that's when he actually died. He was what we call clinically dead. Not Dead, dead, but mostly dead. Like Princess Bride, right? And the Lord gave him that chocolate thing. So he got up from the ground. And he went back into Lystra. His friends were shocked. And he started telling them about Jesus again. Then he told his friends, goodbye, I have to go to the next city where I'm going to be persecuted. You see, he's saying not only will death not separate you from the love of God and the love of Jesus Christ, it'll actually usher you into a paradise of God's love. That's what's going to happen as a believer in Jesus Christ. And so, no matter what tribulation you go through now here on earth, take it as sort of like a quiz that prepares you for the final exam which is when we're going to pass. Now, I'm praying for the rapture, right, to come first. But so did Chuck, right? And it may not happen in our lifetime. I'm thinking with what's going on, it could be. I mean, it's like, wow, you know? But we don't know. But one thing is certain, I love this. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. Believe You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you to myself. You're going to be with me. So don't be worried. Don't be afraid. Even the ultimate worry that you face in life, don't let it bring you down. Don't let it scare the snot out of you. Because the Lord's with you. So he goes on, he talks about life. Life can be sometimes, it seems, harder than death. Because we have these trials, these difficulties. I love what C.S. Lewis said. This is a really good thing to remember. That in your pleasures, God is whispering to you His love. 
in your wholesome pleasures that he brings into your life, your family, relationships, friends, you know, pleasant, wholesome things. He's whispering his love to you. But in your pains, he's crying out his love for you. He's actually yelling his love for you. In your pains. Because Paul spoke to the Philippians about a fellowship of suffering in God's will with Christ. You know, here on earth, you will have tribulation. He said, right? Jesus told us that. He, he wanted to tell us, it's going to be trouble. It's not easy. But be of good cheer. How? How can you be of good cheer? I've overcome the world. I have brought a victory. So principalities, you know, powers, fallen angels, they can't separate you. Now the devil's pretty strong. But the Bible says if we trust in Jesus, he'll flee from us. If we resist his lies. If we resist those lies and confusions and stand strong in faith, he'll flee from us. That's his promise. I love that. And things present. Present things. You know, sometimes they can be hard to deal with. Stuff you're going through. Pressures. That word tribulation means pressure. There's a lot of pressure in this world. Like anxiety about like political division and rancor that's going on back and forth. Or terrorism. Or, oh, there's going to be World War Three now. Or, oh, and there's always something stirring up. Why? It sells a lot of newspapers. It sells a lot of news shows. You know, they did a survey on fears. Human fears and anxieties and, and worries. And this is what they found. They, they asked everybody about their particular fears, worries, anxieties, stress... All of that, and they found out, this was what they came up with. The survey indicated that 92% of all fears, anxieties, and worries never happen. 92% will never happen. But because you're worrying and stressing and fearing so much and anxiety-ridden, it actually chokes our ability to trust God. That's why he said it's like a weed. It's like a thorny ground. We're worrying. We're stressing. The Lord doesn't want... Do you know God wants you to be worry-free? How do I know that? Philippians 4.6 Be anxious for nothing. That's a command. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, with prayer and supplication... Let your request be made known to God and the peace of God will guard over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now I know it's hard to actually come into that peace but the Lord's commanding us to do it and He's serious. I think it's the most disobeyed command in the Bible, by the way. How many think that? Don't worry about anything. Oh no, I do that every day. I never worry. The truth is, he really does want you to have a great peace because of a great love.
perfect love casts out fear. Casts out fear. And even in trials, I'm just going to close with this. Even in trials, Paul lists all these things. And in Romans 5, he says that we believers, so if you're a believer or you're contemplating being a genuine believer, listen to this. Believers not only rejoice in hope that we have in Christ, but we also rejoice in our tribulations. Do you know anyone who does that? But he says, we rejoice in our tribulations knowing that tribulation produces an enduring faith. An enduring faith from your tribulation will produce proven character. This is all in Romans 5, 3, 4, and 5. Proven character. And proven character produces hope because you see that Christ in you is making you more like Him and that's a hope of glory for you. You're like, He's really showing me He's true. He's got a purpose and He's using even the things that are bad to bless me and help me and bless my family. He's always proven faithful to me. And hope does not disappoint because the love, now this is, listen to this, it starts with tribulation and it ends with the love of God flooding your heart. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God floods your heart through the Holy Spirit who's given to you. You know what we need just so that we understand how much God loves us is the Holy Spirit to fill us afresh every day because the fruit of that is love. The Holy Spirit. He wants to fill you every day with His love. First thing in the morning. Okay. So I noticed a lot of you guys are like cowboys. And I just want to end with this story. My grandpa was a cowboy in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And he was like the ultimate cowboy. He had a ranch. He had cows, cattle. He had horses. And I was blessed to go over there and work with his animals. And one time we were able to go and we were to drive the cattle all the way from one place to another into, you know, this ranch. And it was so awesome. You know, I, I thought I was at Snowy River. It was so good. I was having so much fun. Now, while I was there, I went to Old Faithful. Old Faithful. Old Faithful is a geyser, not a geezer. That's me, but Old Faithful is a geyser. So Old Faithful is this geyser that is filled with hot, boiling water. And every 90 minutes, and you can measure it on your clock, it spews up a fountain of glory, 100 to 150 feet high. People come from all over the world to see this. They can't believe it does it every 90 minutes since it's been discovered whenever that was. Every 90 minutes. And they come from all over the world just to watch this. It's old faithful because it's always consistent. Steady. And it always erupts into this glorious fountain. Why is old faithful faithful? 
two things. Deep inside of that little mound, deep down in the ground, the fire burns. Deep inside, the fire burns. You see, 72 feet down, there's a red, hot, boiling stream. Boiling at 245 degrees Fahrenheit. 72 feet down. 42 feet down, there's steam pouring up. Crashing and crunching through the soil and the ground and the rocks. And creating crevices and cracks and, and brokenness. That hot water and steam. So inside, deep inside, the fire burns. Number two, through that unfortunate breaking, that unfortunate crack and crevice and, and, and broken pathways of stone and dirt, an actual way to the surface has been created. Brokenness has created crevices that actually lead to where the water and the steam can emerge and be seen. And then it erupts out of that hole and becomes this glorious fountain. In other words, God is near to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who trust him though they are of a crushed spirit. Psalm 34, 18. Deep inside, the fire must burn. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the love of God. And the things that happen in your life, all of those are to help you and I to have a broken heart. I'm sad a lot in this world right now. I see people so messed up, so hurting. I see so much polarization. I see so much hate, so much murder and hatred and terror. I'm so happy because God loves those people. And God is working. Some of those people, they're showing hate. God's giving them dreams about a man who came and died for them. And they're getting saved. Because they live in a country that won't let the, the people tell them about Jesus. Even though there's millions of believers, they're shut up. But God knows better. He's giving them dreams. And then those people are going to the people who know Jesus and finding out his name is Jesus and they're getting saved. Thousands in Iran. Thousands and thousands are getting saved. Because God loves them. God loves people. It's amazing. He loves your neighbor. He loves mine. But he loves you. Why is it so important that we receive that love? Because people that aren't being loved and don't have a source of love are not going to be loving people. It's that simple. It's like the great Puritan uh, preacher, Thomas Manton. He said, love is like an echo. 
it returns what it receives. So what is echoing in your heart each day? Is it the fears, the love, the insecurity, the bitterness, the frustration? Or is it the sense that God really loves me and He's so good to me, even in my hard times? When that's filling your heart, that's what's going to come out. Hey, like an echo. It's going to come out. But if fears and worries and lust and, 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 and bitterness and all this stuff, the fruits of the flesh are what's rumbling around in our minds all the time, then that's what's going to come out. Amen? Is that right? So that's why the Lord wants us to know how much He loves us. He wants you to know that greater love has no one than this, than He who laid down His life for you. And He wants to pour it in through all the stuff you go through every day. God, I just thank you so much for these folks and thank you for your grace. Lord, that you want to fill us daily with your love. You want it to flood in, even through the trials, so that it can come out in enduring faith and proven character and hope. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. You know, the Lord, He wants to meet you in your need. And I know a lot of us struggle with fears and worries. A lot of us struggle with the stress. A lot of us struggle with lust or with bitterness or jealousy. Or even frustration and anger towards what people are doing. But yet God also is trying to reach those people. And so we need, we need a refill of His Spirit. We need His help. And if you would say today in closing, I would like prayer. I really need to see that work of God's love in my heart. I want His love to fill my heart. I want to be convinced to the point of confident assurance in His love. And I I would like you to pray with me. If you have that need, why don't you just stand? I'm standing. I have that need. If you have that need and you'd say, "I, I want my worries dispelled, my fears cast away. I want His Holy Spirit to take over and overflow my heart and my life. We'd like to pray for all those that have that need. Stand, would you? Or if there's some area that's choking out the fruit of the Spirit, maybe some you know, action of the flesh, some selfish um, thing that you haven't been able to defeat or to conquer, Christ's love can defeat that because His love and His presence is undefeatable. It's absolutely undefeatable. And he's pouring it in this morning. Thank you, God. If you need prayer, just stand. And we're going to sing this song about Holy Spirit. Do you know that song? Your presence here. Yeah, let's sing that song. And just ask him, fill us with your spirit. Maybe you're here and you don't have this type of close love relationship with Jesus. He himself wants to give you this. He wants you to know Him in a real relationship. 
Please stand if that's what you desire. And let's sing this song and may it be our prayer that He will fill us and we will become like old faithful, the fire burning and the brokenness showing His glory and His faithfulness.